This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now here are your hosts, clinical health psychologist, Dr. Kelly Donahue and nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. Good morning. We have Dr. Brian Lenzis, who is a internal medicine doctor in San Diego, who has been focusing on clinical nutrition. He is also the co-host of Low Carb MD, which is one of our favorite podcasts that we listen to. He went to UC Irvine and received a BS in biology before attending USC Medical School, clearly a lifelong California man. After graduating in 1999, he started his residency program at Scripps in San Diego and extended his residency for an extra year as chief resident before starting his private practice career at Internal Medicine Associates in 2004. Dr. Lenskis has been voted one of the top doctors in San Diego for 11 years. Even with gaining the respect of the medical community and his patients, he still felt a void as many patients with chronic conditions became more sick and required more medication. At the same time, he battled his own weight gain while following standard medical advice. After numerous hours of research, conferences, and implementation, he now loves to share his knowledge and personal experiences with you. He is currently down nearly 50 pounds after making some quote-unquote evidence-based lifestyle changes. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have to be on your podcast. This is fun. <laughs> We're we had so, so much excited. fun when we had you on. We appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to come on. You're doing some great work over here. Well, we'd like to start at the beginning, and I think your story is probably fairly compelling. So a very well-trained medical physician who was following all of the advice that he had learned and was gaining weight. So can you start there and tell us a little bit about that, what you were doing at the time, and then what happened that shifted what you were doing to really help you get to the place where you are today? Well, it's going to be a typical story of Jason Fung. I think you probably have talked about him a lot also. And, you know, so he he was one of the guys who came along that really kind of started changing my views. I've struggled with weight my entire life, grew up overweight as a kid, um, never morbidly obese, but just overweight and, you know, played football, was the jock type guy. And then after college and med school and all that stuff, you eat all the time because you don't know when you're going to eat again. And, you know, you mm-hmm. study and, 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 eat and start gaining weight. So, you know, during practice, I started reading the guidelines and said, okay, all I have to do is eat more frequently, you know, five times a day and small meals and I'll have green shakes for breakfast. So my wife was torturing me with green shakes and, and, uh, uh, those kind of things in the morning. And then, you know, being hungry at 10 and then snacking and then eating again at lunch. And so I just started gaining weight. I always worked out. I was working out, you know, six days a week and I'm gaining weight. And I think this is ridiculous. So one of my patients comes rolling in and he, I looked at him, I thought, Oh, he has cancer or something because he had lost 40 pounds and he's, you know, in his late sixties, early seventies. And he said, no, I started doing this fast diet. And I said, oh, fast, that's not good. And, you know, kind of have the, the <laughs> typical response. You're going to share, you're going to go into starvation mode. Um, then I started thinking, well, he clearly didn't go into starvation mode. So what he was doing was basically this five, two, he would mm-hmm. eat five days a week, two days a week, he would fast and he would eat 600 <laughs> calories or less, no carbs. And um, I said, well, I'm trying to logically understand this, not as a doc, but just you know, physically go, okay, if you starve yourself on Tuesday, then Wednesday, you must eat twice as much food. He said, no, that's the weird part. I'm not even hungry on Wednesday. I kind of forced myself to eat. So of course I started going down this rabbit hole thinking, how in the heck is he fasting twice a week and losing weight? And, and, and metabolically his numbers got better. Everything got better. 
And so I come across this guy, Jason Fung, and I started watching his YouTube videos and I'm thinking, he's a legit doc. What's he selling? <laughs> and then he wasn't selling anything. And, you know, at the end of the interview, the guy asked him, hey, if uh, fasting's so great, how come everyone's not doing it? He said, well, there's no money to be made. If there was money to be made, everyone would be doing it. You know, he said, it's, I'm not making this up. This has been going on for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So then I started looking into the intermittent fasting. And then it got me into the low-carb keto world, looking at, at, at data. And as an internal medicine doc, our biggest nemesis is diabetes and metabolic disease. Once I started understanding that, that uh, area of medicine, you think, wow, our diabetics come in mostly are morbidly obese um, and our type two diabetics, and they um, have a super high insulin level. I never checked insulin levels till Jason Fung started talking about it. So I realized this insulin resistance or, or uh, hyperinsulinemia, some people prefer to call it, uh, is a major problem. And until we address that, we're going to have major, major uh, metabolic effects from that. And so that's how I, how I started going down that road. And I started losing, you know, 15 or 20 pounds. And I wasn't really talking about it because, uh, you know, it wasn't the standard of care. And my patients started asking me, well, what are you doing, doc? I was like, well, I'm doing something. I'm cutting out processed foods. And I'm starting. So I started to really look at it and say, do I really need to have healthy whole wheat? Do I really need to have oatmeal for breakfast? Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of things. And that we've told people are healthy. And, you know, and I don't want to mislead people. If you're thin, healthy, metabolically healthy, you can get away with it, you know, nutritionally. But if you're 300 pounds and you're diabetic and your sugars are 300, you can't get away with it anymore because mm -hmm. you have an oversupply of sugar. Mm -hmm. And the more sugar we put in the system, the more trouble you're going to have. And that's, so that's how I started down this road. I think that's a really powerful message, especially with the conditioning that so many of us, not just Western medicine trained providers, but, you know, what do we see on uh, commercials? What do we see in the grocery store? It's a lot of processed carbs or what we are encouraged to consume on a daily basis. And it's no wonder that even the healthcare providers get schnookered and fooled. And, and certainly when I was gosh, a million years ago when I was in nursing school, my nurse practitioner program, and you know, you're know, you staying up really late and you're getting up really early and you're taking care of very sick people. And what are you doing? You are, you're loading up on all those processed carbs. So it's not surprising that eventually it will catch up to us to some degree, but I love that you, you know, we're starting to look at your patients and, and recognize that perhaps the strategy of using intermittent fasting was something that might be beneficial for you as well. And is that really kind of the impetus that got you really profoundly kind of focused and interested in, in advocating for that kind of lifestyle for your patients? Well, you know, I really started looking at it and I was having personal success. And then I went to Low Carb San Diego here. It was right next mm -hmm. to my office. So I said, I'll just Uber <laughs> over and go check it out and see if these people are nutty or what they're talking about. And then you have people like Georgia Eid that are talking about from a psychiatry standpoint, people doing better. Then you have uh, uh, people from an oncology standpoint doing better. And you have people. So that's been when you start looking and saying, gosh, it's not just um, uh, diabetes that we're managing. We're looking at dementia. You know, uh, you know, if we can decrease our risk of dementia and there's tons of data out there. And I was surprised after turning over different rocks of how many areas of medicine benefit from Mm -hmm. cutting out processed foods, you know, okay. and you look at our society and say, okay, do we all become lazy at the same time? You know, what Jason says doesn't make any sense um, because a lot of us are more active than we've ever been. I think that's the frustration for overweight people is people outside will look at them and say, well, you just have to exercise more and eat less. And that's what mm -hmm. we keep telling them the same message. And it's kind of a joke we, I, I said on the podcast is like, if you're drowning in the ocean and someone says, just bring more air than water, and you'll be fine. <laughs> it's hard to do when you're the one struggling, you know, and right. it's, it, it's so yeah. silly, but it's true. It's kind of the, the, um, 
you start saying, yeah, so many people said, yeah, they've told me the same advice over and over and they're Mm -hmm. frustrated. And that's why we love having guests on who've lost, you know, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, reverse their diabetes because everywhere they went, they said they got the same advice and they said, well, Mm -hmm. I'm doing that, but it's not working for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's then been the big take home for us on the podcast is saying what works for you individually. If you gravitate towards being vegan, great. If you gravitate being more carnivore, great. If that's working for your body and your mood's great and your energy's great. So we're so individual. I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all at the end of the day where we say, okay, you could just do this for the rest of your life and you'll be fine. Or here's the step-by-step process. It's figuring out what works for you. And for me, I've been adjusting myself over the, uh, my diet over time saying, okay, let me try going more carnivore. Let me try. Cause I was eating a lot of nuts and cheese and I was gaining mm-hmm. weight yeah, on a low carb diet and cutting out all the processed stuff. So I said, okay, that's it. New Year's, I'm, I'm giving that stuff up and I'm going to see where I go, you know, I'm, and I'm done. I've lost weight over the holidays, probably for the first time in my life, you know, That's so amazing. But I, getting I love, sick didn't help either. Yeah. You know, it did uh, help actually, but anyway. But that one word that you mentioned that Kelly and I use all the time is bioindividuality and how critical and important it is for recognizing that there's not a one size fits all philosophy as it pertains to food. Cause it's really about what works for you, what resonates and that can change. Like you mentioned, you know, nuts and cheese were, were becoming uh, a struggle and, and that's so common because they're delicious. Uh, but I think throughout our lifetime, it may be that maybe one year you're paleo and the next year you're keto. And maybe the, the following year you may be carnivore, um, you know, really just listening to what, you know, works best for you and your lifestyle for sure. Yeah, I think that's a big thing I've learned from a lot of the guests I've had on. Zach Bitter, who's a, a world-class runner. He's a long-distance runner, runs, you know, he, run, he has the world record for 12 hours and 100-mile races and all this crazy stuff. But, you know, I asked him what his diet is, and he said, depends on the day. You can see me one day, you think I'm <laughs> yeah. vegan. You see me one day, you think I'm that. Because he varies it based on what his body's needs are. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of wisdom um, mm-hmm. um we had Ken Foley on and he's a, a world-class bodybuilder type guy, you know, physique competition guy. And his thing is, you know, don't eat for winter, meaning a lot of the animals eat for winter, get fat, and then they eat differently in the spring, you know? And so depending what food is available. And I think we're in a place where we get very confused because if you look at the fruit that's in front of you, you're going to see that it's from Chile, it's from different countries and mm-hmm. it's shipped in. And so, you know, it may be that there's some benefit of, of cycling in carbs and cycling out carbs as you get more fit. I think, you know, Tro has been doing that with his patients. He'll tell people to on a super high fat to start and then take the fat out and add in more protein and change mm-hmm. it based on their metabolic needs as time goes on. And he's having some great clinical success. And so I think we're going to learn. It's not, you know, some people say, no, don't eat protein, eat too much. That, and it's so confusing, yeah. you know, but I think for each of us, you have to say, okay, let me eat. Eat, and I, I've experimented a lot because it's fun for me. I like to see what happens to my cholesterol numbers because of, um, you know, the, the effect of diet. And it's, it's kind of intriguing. You know, I went on a pescatarian diet for a month and my LDL went up 40 pounds, or 40 I points. I was listening wow. to your podcast. I love it. Yeah, you. but I lost, I lost four pounds in the process. So was, was it because I was in active weight loss? Because, you know, no matter how you lose weight, when people are in, and, and that, that's what scares a lot of people is when they're losing weight that a lot of times the LDL is going to do crazy stuff and, mm-hmm. and the triglycerides may even bump initially and then boom, they'll drop like crazy as you're using that as an energy source. So I think it's just, uh, it, it really is interesting. I think we're going to learn a lot. You know, Dave Feldman is doing some great research on, on this mm-hmm. topic. And I think when we start realizing what is a healthy diet, because, you know, 
what I would have said was a healthy diet 10 years ago, I'd say, well, it's probably not, you know? Yeah. And so I think we, we have to be able to be open to that and change and, and change with what works for that patient in front of us. If they're doing a well-formulated ketogenic diet and you say, well, they're not losing weight. Okay, let's change something. Maybe they're not responding. So it's not, you know, I think if we have a one size fits all for everyone, it's going to be very frustrating and, and unrewarding again, you know? And, and I think the big thing we've learned is this low fat diet for diabetics just doesn't work. You know, if you start taking away all the, the fat and you put in carbohydrates to replace it, you're going to, you're going to really have trouble because carbohydrates is their problem, mm, you know? Yeah. So, you know, some people are metabolically active and fit and healthy and, you know, they can get away with a lot more carbs. I have patients who eat way more carbs than I would ever recommend, but they're eating a healthy form of carbs and they're, they're functioning well and their, their triglycerides are great and their HDL and everything else is good. So, you know, you have to look at that individual in front of you. And I think that's what we keep coming back to is saying, Hey, look, you know, we, we may change it over time. It's not like, right. you know, I think our body is, is naturally designed for that to survive with different inputs and outputs and all that. But, you know, mm -hmm. the other thing that's huge that you bring up a lot and I, and I love is, you know, look at the, the stress, the anxiety, the, mm -hmm. the comfort mm -hmm. part of it, you know, cause when we yeah. start talking about cereals, you know, an image popped in my mind of, of, uh, you know, Captain Crunch and all these fun <laughs> cartoon memories that people have. And they want to go back to that. And I think, well, if I eat that, then I'll be happy again, you mm -hmm. know, and then right. they get really off, off kilt, uh, you know, you start getting sick and gaining weight and being miserable. And so it's hard because, you know, some of these, these things that we call comfort foods are really um, destroying us. Mm -hmm. And I think some people have become so out of touch with their body because they're either punishing their body by trying to out exercise or eating foods that aren't good for them. Or as you mentioned, they're using food as a coping mechanism and aren't really in touch with what their body's saying. So I think that for this bio-individuality piece, it's really important and imperative to be in touch with what your body's telling you. But I'm curious, especially for those listeners who aren't as familiar with your work and your podcast, if you could just kind of Give us a place for where you start when a client comes in. I'm guessing most of them have tried a number of diets and not had success. So where do you start with them? What do you recommend? Well, you know, I'm a little different. I'm a general internal medicine doc. So I take all patients. I'm not, do, I'm not a weight loss specialist like Tro is. And that's not my, um, my main focus. You know, I'm, I'm basically a family doc for, for adults. But, you know, I really what I see a lot is people have struggled and they've tried the, the low fat, low fat, low fat, and it hasn't worked for them. So they're frustrated and they, and people keep telling them, you know, exercise more and eat less. The problem is when you exercise more, you get hungrier. And so when they're hungrier and they're not getting proper nutrition, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to have binges. And I think the big thing, stepping back and the, probably the biggest influence I've had is, is Rob Sipis. I don't know if you're familiar with, mm -hmm. he's, he's a bariatric surgeon in, um, uh, Florida, very well-trained guy, very smart guy. And so we started talking and he said, well, Brian, you know, carbs are an addiction. And it, well, basically he, we, we were on a podcast just to let you give you insight. Well, we were talking to a patient who was considering gastric bypass and Rob is a gastric bypass surgeon. And he's trying to talk the guy out of it. And he said, look, here, here's what you, so he comes down to this whole thing. He said, look, there's two foods you need to know. There's, there's um, protein and there's fat. And then he starts talking and I said, well, Rob, come back. There, there's protein, there's fat, there's carbohydrates. And he said, no, that's a, a drug, not a food. Wow, said, that's powerful. What do you mean it's a drug, not a food? He, wow. And so we got into this debate and I was debating the other side of it. I go, well, it's kind of social. He said, Brian, why else would you go to an all-you-could-eat steakhouse and you stuff yourself and the guy brings you another steak? What do you tell him? He said, I'm done. I don't want any more. But he said, instead of that, he brings you your favorite dessert. And then all of a sudden it's gone. 
right? He said, why? He said, because you get that dopamine release. And we got into this discussion of addiction. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And, and so that really changed my views a lot on this to make, to, to, I, and I talk to my, I, I, all the time now about saying, look, it's not your fault necessarily. It's that carbs are addictive. It's just like, you know, cause we got into this whole discussion and Rob said, well, Brian, when's the last time you craved a cigarette? I said, well, never. And he said, well, once you could just quit after 20 years of smoking, what do you think it would be on your brain the whole time? Mm-hmm. And so he was making the point of, look, that's why thin people look at overweight people and they say, why do you eat like that? Why do you, why you, mm-hmm. because they're addicted. It's a, it's, it's a difference. Now, not everyone is addicted. Now, you know, I don't want to make it a, a blanket term, but there is a huge amount of addiction in that. And, and, and it's become pretty clear to us because Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. The indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some circumstances, up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? I want to introduce you to a product by Air Doctor that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that have the potential to go on and make us sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day, breathe-easy, money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorbro.com and use code CYNTHIA. You'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 in value. Look at the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Cynthia. I absolutely love my air filters. They're an integral component to ensuring that the air that my family breathes in our home is as safe as possible. I've been using MitoPure for the last two years, and I've added this to my routine for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a foundational supplement for me and my family. It keeps things simple, and I know that I cannot get enough of urolithin A in my food to derive the same benefits. And if you're not familiarized with urolithin A, it's a signaling molecule, but it's also actively involved in anti-aging, energy production. And I take Timeline because of its remarkable remarkable healthy aging solution that activates key critical cellular pathways in my body. It's a total game changer for healthy aging. I alternate between using the soft gels and powder depending on whether or not I'm traveling. And we know that restoring cellular energy is a key to enduring health. And this is concluded in a recent publication in Nature Metabolism, which is a top scientific journal identifying that newly energized cells may provide many more years of healthy life to people. Yet as we age, we know that cellular energy production naturally declines and reduces our prospects of optimal health and longevity. That's the great thing about Timeline is you can restore cellular energy and support healthy aging. I've noticed the biggest improvements in my energy and sleep levels. We know that Timeline is clinically shown to give our cellular energy generators the mitochondria 
mitochondria new power. And when taken daily, it replaces aging mitochondria. So it upregulates mitophagy and rebuilds new ones or mitogenesis. Timeline is the only nutrient that can do what it does. So Timeline renews your cells to a more powerful state. My listeners can get 10% off your first order at timeline.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off at timeline.com slash Cynthia. I know you're going to love this product. A lot of times people will say, man, I had a stressful day. What do I need? A glass of wine. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't wake up this morning. I need a cup of coffee. So we realize how much food is influencing our mood and how much our mood influences our food. So in this whole low carb keto, and I'm telling you, I have this conversation daily now. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, I had a uh, discussion with a guy who's lost 50 pounds. And he said, I was starving all the time. You know, all the time I was always hungry. And once he changed his diet over to a low carb diet, he said, I could go like, you know, I eat once or twice a day and it's no big deal. It's not stressful for me. You know, also yesterday I saw uh, one of my patients who's a, a retired trauma surgeon. He's running, you know, 50 miles a week and he eats once or twice a day and he's super, super fit. And he's mm-hmm. in his mid seventies and he looks like he's 40, you know, his, mm-hmm. he's in incredible physique. But he said, I'm not, I used to be starving all the time when I was carb learning. Now I'm not hungry. And he said, I recover mm-hmm. faster. So there's a lot of, you know, we're seeing a lot of this. And I think the problem is once you're very deep into addiction, it's just like if you're drinking a gallon of vodka at night and if I say, okay, you're quitting today, that's it. Very stressful for, for people. But sometimes if they can cut down, say, okay, let's go down to half a bottle and then, you know, slowly taper down, but it's individual, right? So the point Rob was making, and this is why it's so powerful, was uh, you know, we got into this discussion about addiction. And, and, and I said, why are you so hardcore about this addiction issue? And he said, well, because I'm a carb addict. He said, I lost 100 pounds doing low carb and keto, but wow. I gained back 30 pounds three different times during my journey. Mm. Why? Because people say, you look great. Let's go out to dinner. And then I go out and have cookies and stuff at dinner. And then the mm. next day I wake up and go, I'm gonna have some cereal. Then I'll get back on it tomorrow. And he says, 30 days later, I wake up and I've gained 30 pounds, right? Wow. So you, you, we have to be mindful of that. And it's not that everyone's addicted, but you know, there's certain foods that are more addictive than others. You know, in nature, these are things I've learned on the podcast too. In nature, you don't see fat and carbohydrate together very often. You see Mm -hmm. them in acorns and where where they're trying to get fat for the winter and you see it in breast milk basically. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, if you pick a bunch of other foods, you say, okay, steak, okay, that's going to be mostly fat, no carbohydrates. And so you you don't see them joined together, but what we do with foods that are very addictive is we join those things together. You know, Troll always brings up the point if you have a potato and you have some some olive oil and some salt, you're not going to eat very much of that raw potato with Mm -hmm. those things on it. But now you fry them up together and put salt on it and you can eat 12 potatoes worth, right? Even if you look at a, a baked potato, if you have a steak and a baked potato, people would eat maybe half a baked potato or maybe the whole thing possibly. But if they're in the form of French fries, they'll eat six potatoes worth without even thinking about it. So when you start looking at those combinations of food, and, and that's one thing Tro has talked about is, is hyper palatability is where yeah. food tastes really good, you're going to eat more of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you make it really, really uh, desirable, uh, we're going to binge more on that. So, you know, it's one of those type of things. And it's, it's a hard thing because there's part of the problem is that I've run into, and I actually got yelled at one time because I had a patient with fatty liver disease. The best treatment for fatty liver disease um, and binge eating disorder is, is carbohydrate restriction mm-hmm. because fatty liver is directly related to carbohydrate intake. So I recommended she cut back on her carbs. Her nutritionist called me and yelled at me the next day and said, how dare you tell her not to eat? And I said, why? And they said, well, you're going to make her binge by telling her she can't eat it. 
And I said, well, should I tell my alcoholics then to drink a glass of wine every day so they don't mm-hmm. pinch? Because mm-hmm. it's a problem when you have an, an addiction to something. Most of us don't have that. So it, it may not resonate with some people, but some people will realize once they have one, they tell you, you can't just have one chip, right? You're going to have, you're going to eat the whole bag. So I think when we know that we say, okay, that's my, you know, that's my kryptonite. I got to stay away mm-hmm. from it. So I think that that's one thing is, is being able to understand yourself. Some people, I have friends who struggle with alcohol. They can have one drink and they don't drink again for a month, right? They have mm-hmm. one glass and they're done. Others have one glass and they can't stop. And they're going to be in the alley somewhere. So I think realizing it, that we're all not the same and, 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 you know, tailoring it to yourself and knowing your weaknesses, like mine are, mine's chips and salsa. I got fat on that. <laughs> so tortillas and all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I do a lot of volunteer work in Central America and, and things. So, um, so I just stay away from it. I don't go to the Mexican restaurant because I know if I go there, maybe I'll go there and have chips. The last five times I've gone, I haven't had any chips because I know that's just, you know, I feel better when I'm not eating it. So I think it's just individualizing. And I think what it really comes down to, you were asking about how we address the patients, like what's acceptable to you? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. not everyone needs to have six pack abs and be the fitness model, but say, hey, yeah. look, let's 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 try to get you off your hypertension medicines or your diabetes medicines. And and we're having unbelievable success because all these things are kind of tied together. You know, I think the big underlying force of all this is is insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, when we could look at that and I see people with really high insulin levels that are on multiple blood pressure medicines and diabetes meds, like, hey, if we can get that under control and allow your body to make enough insulin that where it's it's beneficial to you, then you don't need all this exogenous stuff anymore. Hi all, it's Kelly. I wanted to jump in and talk about CBD. I'm sure by now you've heard us or other people talk about the benefits of using CBD oil and related products. And I'm telling you that it definitely works and the research is supporting that. However, Cynthia and I have also noticed that you can purchase what's labeled as CBD oil from drugstores, from gas stations, and we wanna make sure that if you're going to try this product, that you have a really good, reliable source. Direct CBD Online provides natural alternatives to prescription painkillers and medications. They sell only the highest quality CBD oils, edibles, creams, and more to help you on your search for natural well-being. And they strive to assist you in making informed decisions about your health and the products and supplements that you use. If you've been thinking about trying CBD, and we know that you have, I highly encourage you to check out Direct CBD online. You can click the link in the description to learn more and get started today. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really hearing, and I know that Kelly and I are on the same page, is really meeting our patients where they are. You know, we may have you know, an idealistic perspective of the direction they need to be going in, but really getting their buy-in to find out what's realistic for them. Like you mentioned, not everyone wants six pack abs. Not everyone wants to look like they, you know, could be a bikini model, but they may desire to uh, have a hold of their cravings. It could be as simple as that. Like I always say, when someone loses their desire to have these hyper palatable foods, they almost feel like they have a monkey off their back. Like they can get up in the morning and their first thought isn't thinking about what are they going to eat that morning? It's what are the things I need to do for myself and my family or for my work? And then I'll think about food later, but you know, it's no longer their driving presenting preoccupation. It is then something of food as fuel as opposed to food is an emotion or food is something that's tied up um, in a way that is, you know, really um, adversely impacting their health and wellness for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely true. I think that's it. I think, you know, a lot of people that, you know, it's an emotional, you know, Dr. Unwin, who, who I respect a lot from England, who's done a lot of work in the low carb community. Um, you know, he said he would, people would cry in his office when you say, okay, cut out bread and pasta, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's an emotion, especially if you're Italian, that's a really mm -hmm. emotional thing. So trying to figure what I find is a lot of people are figuring out how it, they can be culturally sensitive and still, um, uh, you know, be healthier, you know, say, okay, do we need to put breadcrumbs in every item we make? Let's try and make it a different way. And so people are, are still having the foods they enjoy without being crazy about it. And I think, you know, like I tell people, people always ask me, do you eat bread at all? I said, well, you know, I really, I don't ever eat like store-bought bread. I just mm -hmm. don't, I don't see the nutritional value for me. I gain weight on it and I don't feel well. So I don't, mm -hmm. but if I go to the nicest restaurant in the world, or, or if I'm in Guatemala and someone hand makes me a tortilla, I'm not going to turn it down and be rude. Right. So right. it's just saying, Hey, is that, is my happiness, whether I have tortillas or not, I think it's it, at the moment, I think a lot of us are, so we live in the moment. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, okay, I just want to have tortillas today, maybe tomorrow type thing. And, and I think when you say you're never going to have one again, it's very stressful for people, you know, and there's some things I say, look, if you're going to try cutting the low hanging fruit, you know, if you're, if you're drinking soda every day, get rid of that. You know, that's a huge deal, right? Just doing that. So you don't have to be fanatical, but you could say, I, I, one of my friends lost 36 pounds in six weeks cutting out soda, right? That's it. That's all he did. Everything else was the same. So you start realizing, man, I mean, the effects of that over the years, how much of an effect we can have just from cutting out, you know, eating, drinking tons of juice and soda. And, and, yeah. and you know, I, I tell people it's more like if there's certain things you really enjoy, say, OK, if I want to have a piece of dark chocolate at the end, end, end of the day, fine. But if you have dark chocolate at the end of the day after you've had bread and pizza and rice and all this mm -hmm. other stuff together, you, it's like going to Walmart and all of a sudden it's a $300 bill. You're like, I didn't get anything. <laughs> yeah, you got this and this, all these things are $8 and $2 and it all adds up over time. You know? When you went in for toothpaste. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully I answered your question. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that you're bringing up is, is the importance of small choices. One of my favorite books on this is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about trajectory and the power of making different choices every day will determine your trajectory. So just like you're saying, you can say yes to your favorite food one day, but no to three others. And by doing that, you're going to end up in a very different place than if you had said yes to all four of those foods every day. Yeah. And I think just supporting yourself. And I think having the big thing I've seen is when you have family support, when you get a family mm -hmm. on board, man, it, it is powerful. You know, we've had people on the podcast where, you know, the, the whole family is 800 pounds, you know, because they're, you know, the, the daughters get on board, the, the wife gets on board. You know, we had Larry Diamond on same thing. You know, he started and his wife said, you're not going to stick to this. And he did. And then she ended up going on losing tons of weight. And, mm -hmm. but it's really that they're, they're able to be more active now. And I think it's one of those things where we, we give obese people, the, the, the misconception that they're just lazy. You know, mm -hmm. there's tons of people like Troll when he was 350 pounds, this guy was not lazy. He was going through mm -hmm. med school. He did a lot of stuff, residency. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And uh, to say that you're just morally weak, it's just that w when you become hostage to this thing, just like there's a lot of smart people that are alcoholics and they, mm -hmm. you know, and then they say, well, they should know better. What? Addiction is different than knowing. It's an addiction. Mm -hmm. You can't help it. It's just like having fears that you just know are irrational fears, but you're afraid of spiders and you just can't help it, you know? And so um, these physiologic responses. So that's that's kind of the thing I, I've been seeing is is people will find once they get, the, like you said, they get free of this this constantly being hungry. And then they say, wow, now I feel like going to exercise. I have more energy. My focus is better. You know, my mood is better. And so there, there's a lot we don't understand. I think that's, that's where the scientists, I think, miss out 
on understanding the low carb diet and a ketogenic diet because there there are benefits uh, as far as if I'm a stress eater and my my I go on a diet that puts me in a place where I have lower stress levels, lower inflammation, I'm feeling better, I'm less likely to need that stress food, you know, mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. You know, binging on alcohol, a lot of times it's because you go through a stressful period, you're going through a divorce, you're, you lose your job, whatever, and then people turn to alcohol as their comfort. So I think the more we're learning, it's like, hey, why don't I find a different comfort rather than having it be food all the time? Mm-hmm. Because I know for myself, if I have a really stressful day, I'll say, oh, gosh, I'm hungry. I want to eat something, right? That's just a natural response. So you say, okay, let me go for a walk with my wife. That relaxes me too. Let me go get a massage. Let me go do, go work out, do whatever brings you that kind of joy where it doesn't have to be something that's going to be detrimental mental if you're struggling with your weight, you know? And I think it's also important to talk about the fact that, you know, for many people, if they're feeling sad or stressed, a lot of the foods that they gravitate towards actually, you know, that what they're looking for is either a serotonin or a dopamine boot, you know, kind of boost. And so, you know, it's this kind of short-term solution for what is ultimately, you know, a long-term issue. And, and so I remind people what most of us crave when we're feeling stressed and anxious are, you know, a lot of those processed carbs, which, you know, sets up that same cycle and, and can be hugely problematic. But I love that you, you know, mentioned some of the um, healthier versions of when you're feeling stressed, you want to connect with your spouse, you want to exercise, you want to get out in nature, all things that we know are profoundly beneficial, you know, even based on research. Well, I think, and I think that's a huge point because really, when you look at it, people don't binge on broccoli and spinach. Mm -hmm. People don't say, I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat spinach till I throw up tonight. People, I mean, (laughs) maybe someone out there says, I love it and that's my thing. But, but for the most part, it's going to be, you know, the Pop-Tarts and the Doritos and the, Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, and again, when you look at that, you know, Tro brought that to my attention too. When you look at the most addictive foods, pizza, 50% fat, 50% carbs, you know, hamburgers, fries, and a Coke, you know, 50-50. So you start looking at all these ratios of, of this fat and, and sugar together. Mm-hmm. And that's the most palatable thing that, you know, and, and, it, and it hits those neurotransmitters and it makes us feel really good for a, yeah. a period of time. But then you crash afterwards, you feel miserable. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's one of those really important points of saying, look, if you have healthy food around you, you know, if you don't have the chips around, you're not going to binge on it because you're not going to take off in the middle of the day and go to the store most likely. But, you know, if it's around, it's just like, you know, if you're struggling with alcohol, you don't have Jack Daniels in your refrigerator. Sooner or later, (laughs) you're going to have a weak moment if you know that's your weakness. So I think for a lot of us, we have to just realize ourselves and say, okay, uh, I'm not going to put myself in that kind of environment. You know, if you're out hiking with your friends, a lot different than being at the bar with your friends, right? Yeah. So I think you, you, you kind of figure out, okay, what, what's healthy for me and what works. And But I think what happens a lot in this, the, the whole psychology of this, and a, a lot of people uh, will say, well, you know, I was there and there was nothing else to eat. So I had to eat pizza and I had to eat cake. And I, well, you could have prepared ahead of time and known, known that, you know? And so, so I think a lot of us sell, set ourselves up to self-destruct. I see it and, and it's tragic for me because, you know, when you see diabetics who just binge on sugar like crazy and then their numbers go crazy and they get insulin resistant, then they need more insulin and they gain weight because of the insulin. And, and it's, it's, it, you, once you're in that cycle, it's really, really hard to break it. And, and Dr. Unwin has done some work on that with, um, you know, elevated triglycerides make you hungrier. Right. Mm-hmm. So the problem is the hungrier you get, the more triglycerides you tend to eat, the more triglycerides go up, then you're hungrier. Then you get into this whole cycle of, of, uh, uh, you know, it, it's an upward spiral where, where you need to break that cycle at some point. Totally. And, and I think that it, it can be really helpful to explain to our clients that physiology trumps logical thought every time. So we will crave that sugar because it gives us that dopamine hit. We'll crave whatever that is, even though 
logically, we know that that's not necessarily a healthy choice for us. But when we're in that stress response, we're feeling stressed, our focus narrows and we go toward what physiology is telling us to do. Yeah. And once you do that, then you're, you, 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 once you start eating the donuts, if you don't have control over it, you get into trouble. And that's, that was kind of the big thing that I learned from Rob Sive is that is that is saying, Hey, look, if you don't have control over something, you can't just say, I'm going to have one drink. If you can't control how much you're going to have, you can't just have one cookie if you can't control it. And I think that's why people go on a carnivore approach. They're seeing a lot of mood benefits. They're seeing a lot of uh, physiologic benefits, decreased inflammation, and they're feeling better. And when they're feeling better, they're less likely to binge, especially when you take out that out as an option. Because the rest of it, because I, I don't know how over the years struggling with weight, I thought, you know, I'll just walk by and there's a donut in there. I'll break off a little piece of it. I won't eat the whole thing. I'm just going to have a piece, right? Mm-hmm. Then an hour later, you walk by and you go, I'll have another piece. Now it's like not even, I look at it as not even an option. So yeah. it just takes that whole, like, do I just have one? Do I have half? Do I eat two cookies now? And you know, when, when you start saying, okay, I can fast. When you start realizing, that's the thing that has been really fun for me is to, to really look at the physiology and say, you know, I, I, you, you probably heard me yapping about this 24-hour glucose monitor I had. Mm-hmm. But it's really helpful to understand, oh, when I'm not eating, my sugar actually trends up during the day. It doesn't, I don't get hypoglycemic and pass out and get weak and tired and all that stuff. Because that's what we were always told is that we'd run out of energy. But our body is designed that we can run on our fat stores. That's why we have fat stores, not for looks. It's for energy, for your energy. It, it's really saying, look, Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra colostrum. And the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mycosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including 
including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. An armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. All this stuff that you have in your bloodstream is bad. I got to get it out. Where's the safest place to put it? In the fat store. So it stores it there. So then you can break it back down later and use it when you need that energy source. When you're not, we've been in a problem of oversupply of energy. And that's why, you know, I'm sure you saw this, the the whole, um, Cynthia, I'm sure you saw the uh, New England Journal of uh, medicine article mm-hmm. talking about fasting, intermittent fasting, and 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 what a benefit it is. That's exciting. It's yeah, really super exciting. exciting that we're finally mm-hmm. they're starting to look. I mean, we've been doing that for thousands of years. Now all of a sudden we're saying it's a good idea. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, as a human species, we've done it. I mean, when I got sick over the weekend, first thing I did, I didn't want to eat mm-hmm. at all. You know, I just wasn't hungry. So you know, Jason Fung has raised that point. And said, well, maybe that's a coping mechanism. Your body is trying to funnel all the energy into the immune system and not waste time on digestion, all that stuff when you don't need it because you have energy stores to burn. So we'll just pull that other extra energy out and use it as needed and, and use our resources more wisely. So I think that we're, I think we're going to learn a lot in that area too, you know, because all these things kind of, it, it's interesting how they kind of just, it seems to me it's a natural progression for people because once they're not starving all the time, and they, they, they're running on a better fuel source, then all of a sudden they can fast without even, it's not that they're thinking about fasting initially. And then all of a sudden they say, oh yeah, I just skip lunch now. It's no big deal. Or I just skip breakfast and I eat at lunchtime. And so they, they, they naturally go to a, a time-restricted eating pattern and they do better from that standpoint also, you know? And so I think it's just, it's going to be individualized and we all kind of figure out what works for us. I think that's the bottom line, what it, what it really comes down to, you know, and, and just making wise choices. And then, once you get on that road, when you're not on constant starvation mode, survival mode, then you can just do better. And, and I love that you're kind of weaving into the conversation by individuality, finding what works for you, finding what's feasible and reasonable. You know, when it comes to low carb or keto, are there any people or any patients that you feel that it's not appropriate for? I know we get a lot of differing opinions. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've always had these, you know, you start looking at, you know, thin people. Okay, why should they be keto? Well, I have a couple of women who are, um, that have rheumatoid arthritis. They went on a ketogenic diet and their rheumatoid arthritis got better, their inflammation got better and all this stuff. Now they're trying to force themselves to eat enough so that their problem is they're losing weight and they want to gain weight. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think it really is going to come down to individuals again. Mm-hmm. Is there a benefit to being ketosis all the time? We don't know. We don't know long-term you know, what that means. I think a lot of people feel more peaceful. They feel like they're in a better mental state. Um, and so, you know, I don't know of anyone that cut out processed foods that all be, 
all of a sudden became sick and weak and tired. And, and, you know, so if you're eating real food, I think that's what we come back to. Does it have to be ketogenic? No. Does it have to be low carb necessarily? No. I mean, if you're a super athlete and you're running, you know, 50 miles a week, like my guy, so why don't you liberalize your carbs a little bit? And he said, well, because my recovery time is so much better when I'm, when I'm low mm-hmm. carb, I feel better. My energy, well, what am I going to argue with him and say, no, you need to put on 10 pounds and you know, that he's working out, he's doing all of his activities. So um, I haven't come across anyone where, where a low carb diet other than mentally, because that's their comfort uh, mm-hmm. has been detrimental from that standpoint, cutting out processed foods. Yeah. Because most people, when they cut out processed foods, and I, and it's, it, and I don't want to say it's universal, but it's pretty darn close to it where I'll have it's always as a primary doc it's very frustrating when people have chronic fatigue and they're just mm-hmm. tired all the time mm-hmm. and it's like well gosh how do you fix that i mean all your labs look normal everything looks good but then i started checking insulin levels and a lot of these people will have high insulin levels even though they're thin mm-hmm. right so they're they're eating a ton of carbohydrates and sugar and and, and you listen to them and you know and one of my guys is it, it really brought to a head because you know, he goes i'm just tired all the time are you well the first thing we think of are you depressed are you sleeping enough mm-hmm. do you have sleep apnea all these things okay. you know i mean no none of those things are true so i said well when's the last time you felt great and he started laughing he looked at me and shook his head he goes this is going to be weird he said, the last time I felt great was the day before my colonoscopy. I had energy. I came home from work. I remember my <laughs> wife was like, are you on something? You're so energetic and you're jumping around. And then I said, well, how about before that? And he said, you know, I had to get a knee surgery the day before the knee surgery. He said, I felt mm-hmm. so good, my energy. And I was like, that's weird. And he goes, Bach, do you think sugar could have something to do with it? Because oh. he eats sugar all the time. And those two days he was fasting. And when he was yeah. fasting, he felt great. His energy. Wow. So now he's, and he's Italian and owns an Italian restaurant. And so he's lost like 45 pounds. He's doing great. Mm-hmm. And, and his energy's through the roof because he said, I was just eating, I was, yeah, he was eating like gummy bears and all because weight wasn't an issue for him. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't yeah. a problem. So I think a lot of times, and, and I've been fooled myself. I have a guy, he's a 145 pounds that had full blown type two diabetes with six pack abs in his seventies. And I think wow. it's weird, but I asked him his diet and he goes, well, uh, yeah, his A1C was high, but his diet was like, you know, he would have pancakes and syrup. Cause he, he was mm-hmm. a, uh, a ranger. So you would go hiking for six hours a day. So he would carb load like crazy to go hike all day. And then he would take carbs with him because they were light and easy to carry. And then he would drink uh, Mountain Dew. And then at night he'd go out for pizza and spaghetti (laughs) and all that stuff because weight, he was burning off all those calories, Mm -hmm. but his pancreas still had to make insulin to get rid of that sugar. Mm -hmm. So the thing is a lot of people are metabolically sick, even though they're not obese. And that's, that's one thing we're learning. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's, uh, very interesting because, you know, we always thought, well, as you get overweight, then you get diabetes. Now you got to go on a diet. you got to go to a low fat diet. And now we start realizing, oh, it's a sugar overload that's been the problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could, you could be sugar overload. And especially in our Indian population, we see that a lot yes. where people get diabetes and they're, they're not a fat person and they're not mm-hmm. obese and they're, they're, they're getting diabetes and it's shocking to us, but it's an energy. They don't have enough fat stores. Now, once you run out of fat stores, where do you put the extra sugar, right? Mm-hmm. It has an overflow into your bloodstream and that's type two diabetes. Mm-hmm. So some people, like we had Jeff on our podcast, he was 679 pounds, never got diabetes. Because he had endless fat stores, so he could just keep storing it away. So mm-hmm. instead of storing away, this guy was just hiking it away, right? He was burning off those calories, but he still needed metabolically to get rid of that sugar mm-hmm. in his bloodstream. So you know he ends up getting diabetes. You know? And so we see it. I have eleven guys in my practice um, that are less than one hundred fifty pounds with type two diabetes, right? Wow. Type two diabetes. Yeah. Um, so they just were metabolically sick, but you just couldn't look at them and say they were metabolically sick. So, mm-hmm. and there's other people who are overweight that are metabolically healthy, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, it's very confusing for people. I think that just drives home that point of bio-individuality mm-hmm. and how different everyone is. 
Yeah. So even with that, with that in mind, knowing that that's a theme for us and we all believe in that, if you had to give our listeners two tips to improve their health and wellness every day, what would those two tips be? Gosh, you know, I think one thing I would say for sure is being active, exercising. We have tons of data on that, that people with more muscle mass do better, less falls. You know, um, uh, I was just talking to the trauma surgeon. He, he was talking about, you know, um, uh, sarcopenia, which is lack of muscle tissue being the biggest risk factor for them when they have a senior come in after a fall of, uh, of death. Uh, so, you know, being able to stay balanced and, and flexible and, and active and, and, you know, there's obviously benefits for mental health and all those kind of things. And, and uh, I think number two would be that that would be number one. Number two would be, you know, watching the processed foods, watching the carb, you know, the, the carbohydrates, processed food, empty calorie type stuff. Um, you know, and in that, in, in that whole same setting is stress and sleep, you know, very critical, you know, if we're sleep deprived, we're going to be hungry more. I, I knew that in residency when I was up all night, the next day I would be starving all day. Yeah. And that was part of my weight gain was that, you know, the stress, probably the stress of having, you know, being very stressed at night, working hard and not sleeping. But a lot of people are sleep deprived, beat up unhappy in their relationship, all those things, and their comfort is food. Mm -hmm. And so it's, a, it's yeah. kind of one of those things, it's, it's a cycle and you go, okay, how do I break that cycle? Okay, let me, let me be positive. Let me, let me interact well with people. Let me, you know, I think when people feel better about themselves, they don't need the other stuff as much, right? So my alcoholics who do volunteer work and are out in the community doing stuff, helping people and they're investing in other people, they're less likely to, to, to binge on alcohol again. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing goes for us who are overweight. The worst thing for all those things is, uh, you know, just downtime and not being happy because you say, well, mm -hmm. what will make me happy? Give me some cookies. Give me this. Give yeah. me so when you start realizing, hey, I'm, I'm investing in other people and, and I'm doing well and, and, and I'm helping other people, then you're less likely to go back to those bad habits. And, and I think really just being honest with yourself and understanding, okay, what are my triggers? What are my weaknesses? You know, well, personally for me, not what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, if, do I feel terrible when I'm eating bread every day? Well, let me cut it out for a week or two and see. And I think being able to self-experiment and say, okay, let me try something and see if it's working. If not, I'll change tax. Maybe I'll fast more often. Maybe I'll fast less often. Because I think, Kelly, you raised that point is some people are so, they want to have results right now. So they work out mm -hmm. super hard today yeah. and then they don't work out for a week because they're sore and they're beat up and then they get out mm -hmm. of it. So they'd be better off just saying, look, let me slowly just ease into this thing and start exercising a little bit more, making it a habit more so than torturing myself, you know, a penance type thing that I have to pay for my past sins. Now I have to, to work out for 12 hours today, you know? And, and so I think all those things, having life balance really comes back into play and, and being happy and, and social and, and investing in people and, and um, uh, you know, just kind of thinking outside of yourself all the time. And, and, and not living for the moment exactly. I mean, enjoying the moment, but not saying, uh, you know, I, I, Everyone else is eating cookies, so I'm going to eat cookies, even though I'm mm -hmm. struggling with weight and diabetes and all that kind of stuff. I want to be part of the crowd. But, you know, I think it's so for, for people who get it, it's it becomes very easy, especially when they're feeling well, because we all want to. I mean, really, the bottom line, when it comes down to it, there's nothing more important than your health. Right. Mm -hmm. it, there, there's really nothing more important than your health and being able to go out with your kids and play with your dogs and go and do stuff. But when you feel miserable, and it's just such an effort. It's just so hard. But once you start feeling better, you're more likely to want to do those things, you know. And so I think it's a natural progression that happens for people. Well, we can't thank you again for carving time out of your busy schedule. I know, especially after the holidays, we wanted to kind of start our, our podcast recordings off right and on the right foot. And to have you here with us today really means a lot. So thank you so much. I know our listeners are going to love this episode. 
No, I'm honored to join you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and I love what you're doing. I, th- and I love that we're all kind of taking our different tacks. And I see you're t- tackling some really important uh, topics. And so, you know, I think we all, and I think that's part of it is we all kind of learn from each other. Well, I'm going to take a nugget from you. You'll take one from me and I'll, and we all kind of learn, say, I like that perspective. And, and so that's, what's been great is over the last year or so I've, I've really changed my views on a lot of things and, and had a lot more understanding based on what the experts like yourself, you know, from the psychological standpoint, from, you know, being a nurse practitioner, working with so many people and, and understanding intermittent fasting. And, and over time, we're going to say, Hey, here's a model that works for 80% of people. Why don't we try that? And then we'll deviate from that model. But, you know, I think we're all on that, that quest to help our patients and to learn and, and it's fun. So I'm, I'm very honored to be here and, and I'm appreciative of you having me on. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.